on the Bible reading list. Yes, we are. Do you agree with that? So happy that you are here today on this, my favorite day of the year. Father's Day. Hey, uh, let me speak to you um, if you had a father, um, which is, a, of course, everybody, unless, except for those of you that came from a bubblegum machine, uh, one of the big commands of the Bible in the scriptures is honor your father and mother. And part of the big command of the Bible is to honor your father. And may God give you wisdom about how to do that today and really throughout your life that you would show honor to your father, whether he's living or not. This is a command from the Lord. And God blesses those who, who keep his commands. And then let me speak to you that are dads. We're going to jump into Daniel here. But you that are dads and you that are men of the church, and I wanted to talk to you today to tell you how grateful we are for you and how thankful that we are in a, in a culture that really doesn't always show honor to men. We want you to know that there's a place where you are honored and we are grateful for you. We're grateful for the good men that we have here at Bethel, and we would all be aware that we're, we're far from perfect and that we are hidden in Christ and, and desperate to, uh, to be in Christ all that we can be and that we've fallen short, and yet uh, for the times that you sacrificed, we saw that and we're grateful. And for the times that you got up early in the morning and you left before anybody was up and uh, maybe even you were alone and misunderstood or unappreciated or we didn't say thank you for the things that you, this money that you spent on us that you could have spent on lots of other things. For the times that you cared about us when we were, got in late or we were doing something foolish. The things that you tried to teach us that you knew that we would need to know uh, for loving our mother, for being good to us, for making us feel protected for being the glue and the help of the culture in your labor and your protection, for those of you that gave spiritual direction and wisdom. Um, let's take a minute and just be grateful for the good men that we have around us. Ours isn't a big church, we're just a small church, but we have a lot of good men in this church. They'd be quick to tell you that they're imperfect, they are imperfect, but they're sincere in following the Lord. And even today, we've brought ourselves into a place where we're sitting at, at, at in a sense, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, and we're sitting at, at the, uh, we're, sitting, we're giving attendance to his word. And you could be out fishing, you could be out messing around with your toys, you could be out doing something selfish, and yet you're wise enough to come and worship and let your family see you worship the one true king. And uh, I commend you for that. I, I, I do, and I thank you. I'm so grateful for you. And so just on behalf of the Bethel Church, I want to tell the men of Bethel, thank you for all that you do, and uh, we, are, we are grateful for you very much. Lord, thank you for good men that we've had in our lives, even though they're not perfect, even though they'd be the first to admit they've failed. The presence of men in our lives has been so precious, and we're so grateful. Grateful for their work, grateful for their sacrifice, grateful for their spiritual direction, grateful for their love and their kindness, their tenderness to us. We don't know where we'd be without them. We thank you for our dads and our grandfathers. Thank you for the men of the Bethel Church today. 
Pray that today when they leave, they would be encouraged that they've come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to defend myself right from the very beginning. Every once in a while, men will say, I, I, I go to church on Father's Day and the pastor beats me up. And I just want you to know, if you said that, you are not telling the truth. No, I didn't beat you up. Except right there, I guess, a little bit. You know, I didn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you. I want you to be encouraged. And You should not be able to pick up the book of Daniel. We're in a series of messages preaching through the book of Daniel. Twelve chapters, two sections of six chapters each. The first six chapters are primarily story or narrative, and yet they have a little prophecy in them. We'll see that today. And the second chunk, chapters 7 through 12, are primarily prophecy. So you've got history in 1 through 6. You've got prophecy in 7 through 12. You've got history or narrative told in stories, stories that we love to tell in Sunday school, in the first chunk of the book of Daniel. And the second chunk, what you primarily have are some stories, but primarily you have visions and dreams, prophecies given in the form of visions and dreams. Visions are what you would have when you're awake. Dreams are what you would have from the Lord when you're asleep. And in this case, these dreams are visions. This, Daniel, in a sense, is the, is the revelation of the Old Testament. It's a critical and key to understand end times, even to understand, especially like today, the text that, we, that Jim just read to us has within it, it's a narrative, but within it is a vision, and the vision is interpreted, and there's something that we can know about things that have happened in the past based on this vision, but there's also something that we can know about what will happen in the future, and it's not obscure. It's, there are things that are difficult to understand in the scriptures, even in this passage, but the big idea is very plain and easy to understand. It's not hard at all. There's a lot that is uncertain, and, in, and it's frightening all around us, especially if you are foolish enough to watch the evening news or listen to how they interpret what's happening around us, you can just be wringing your hands all the time. You can be awake at night. But God has revealed what we need to know about human history. Did you hear me? God has revealed to us what we need to know about human history. God in this passage here has revealed something to us that's very profound about the rise and fall of human kingdoms and kings and the disposition of them and, and the direction or the trajectory of human history, what we need to know, what God has said we need to know. He's shown to us in his word. And this is one of the places where he's done that. So when we pick up the book of Daniel, our hands should tremble and our hearts should be excited. We should be thrilled to think this is the very word of God that's given to us. And so I would remind you that when we study here at Bethel, we don't, we don't really just have little talks that we give that you can come and decide, you know, I'll give this one a seven this week or a three, or it was too long or it was too short. Or it was not, you know, not enough of this or too much of that. That's not the primary thing, of course. It's the word of God that we're teaching, right? So see, what you want to do is you want to participate with us Instead of just like listening to a performance, if you will, you're participating in the study of God's Word together in a, in a body. And so I would recommend that you read ahead and you ask questions of the text. I hope you've done that. And then I would also recommend that you pray. Pray for me as I prepare the messages, but pray for you as you receive the, the teaching, as you read the Word. Pray for others who are here 
and they need to make progress in faith, or they need to have their eyes opened spiritually, or they need to be encouraged. Pray and invite other people to come and join you. Don't just like be selfish and enjoy the assembly of the saints yourself. Ask you, always ask yourself, who can I invite? Who should I call to be in a friendship with so that I can invite them so that they would be under the teaching of the Word of God and they would enjoy the fellowship of God's people? And this could be a very powerful thing. You understand, if I invite somebody to church, I'm like a hired gun. That's what they expect. I'm paid to do that, they think. But if you invite somebody to church, it's like you're recommending a favorite restaurant that just have to come and try it out. So it's very powerful. So I just recommend that you ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to help you to be sensitive to people who might be open to an invitation to come and invite them. And you might even just say to them, hey, our pastor's preaching through the book of Daniel. And it talks about human history, but it also talks about prophecy in the future. It's very interesting. You should come and hear it. And you just never know what's going to happen. So basically, here's what we have. We're in the center of this. We're in chapter 2. And the second part of chapter 2, which as you, you've heard read, is a dream that's told to Nebuchadnezzar the king, an interpretation of the dream, which gets kind of interesting. And then there's the reaction of the king. So these are the kind of the chunks, if you want to understand this little narrative. You've got the dream that Daniel says, this is a dream you had. And then he, he very clearly marks it. He says, now this is what your dream meant. And he goes over it again. So we go over the same material two times. He goes over it again, but this time he's interpreting. How many of you noticed that when you listen to the interpretation part, there were still unanswered questions in your mind? Anybody? Yeah, lots of okay. There, yeah, you should, there should have. You should have. You should have. Some things were very clear. The big things were clear. How do we say this here? The main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And the main things are plain here. There's something here that you can't miss. Very clearly, don't miss what you can't miss, looking for the things that aren't clear yet. And understand that as we get closer to things, things tend to get more clear. This is true in, in future prophetic prophecy. One should study the Bible. One should have the questions in mind. One should kind of arm wrestle with what could this mean what could that mean and they should get that in their heart and then as we get closer to things some things are very plain that we'll see right away other things will become very plain when we get there like if you miss the rapture of the church you'll probably know if you studied the bible so there you are um something to think about but so so we have the dream in verses 31 through 33 and then again we have the interpretation daniel says now this is what it meant in verses 36 through 45 and then and you have those kind of, in a way, you kind of have five chunks of that interpretation that we'll see, and it's, the, it's based on the metals that the image is made up of in the dream, right? That descend in terms of their value, and they get stronger as they go down. You've got the gold, the silver, it sounds like the Olympics, right? Gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And, it, and it's pretty straightforward. You've got a couple that are named. A couple of the nations are represented by these, uh, by these medals. And they're, they're actually named later in another prophecy that's given in the book of Daniel that gives a different figure. It names what those nations are, are given names there. And then there's the last nation, which is unnamed, but we kind of have a pretty good idea what it is. And then there's, as it gets further down to the toes, you have, what is this we're talking about? The toes, are there 10 of them? doesn't actually say there are 10. There, there's clay and there's iron and there's some enigmatic, mysterious language. But don't let it throw you off. 
the big thing that's really clear gets toward the end of this when the stone comes from the mountain and it, and it crushes the image and it fills all the earth and that becomes very, very plain. So anyway, that's the next section there. And then the last section is the section that's really Nebuchadnezzar the king's reaction. Here's this pretty dangerous guy who just got through saying, if you can't tell me what I dreamed and if you can't tell me what it meant, I'm going to tear you limb for limb. I'm going to burn down your houses and make you into a dung heap. <laughs> Which would be like, so the tension would be pretty high. Would you not agree? It'd be high tension. This is one bad dude, right? This is kind of dangerous guy. What, how is he going to react when somebody actually does what he asks and says, tell me what my dream was and tell me what my dream meant? That, that last section is how he reacted. Now, when you look at something like this, it's just fascinating on its own. You just study it and go home. But, but we don't want to do that because that's not how you're supposed to use the Bible. That's not how the Bible, that's not how a Christian is supposed to respond to the Bible. The idea is we're supposed to say, what did this mean? Who, who is the original author and who is the original audience? And why did he tell them this? And how would they have responded to it? How would the original, who was the original audience and how would they have heard what he said? Because if you can answer that question, this is something I'll say to you over and over again as we make our way through books of the Bible. If you can answer that question, you're well on your way to figuring out the bigger question for you, and that is what does God, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to me this Father's Day 2022? What is God saying to our family? What is God saying to our nation? What is God saying to our church? Holy Spirit, active in my heart, giving life to the word of God and regenerating my own heart and stirring up my own heart to, to spiritual vitality. What do you want to do with your word in me today? And you can get that answer if you, if you carefully observe what the scriptures say and ask who was the original author, what was the setting of the original message here, who was the original audience, and, how, and so the, we'll answer those questions. And I got to get cracking, don't I? So let's look in verses 31 uh, through 35. Again, this is the dream. And the dream is pretty simple and straightforward. He says, there's an image of exceeding brightness stood before you. The appearance was, was awe-inspiring, is frightening. The head was the, of the image was of fine gold, chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron, partly clay. So in your dream, you saw an image that was made of a golden head, chest and arms of silver, thigh and torso of bronze, legs of iron. This is what we see in the dream. And then it says in verse 34, as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke it in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The title of my sermon today is the eternal and the ultimate kingdom. If you're just reading this like literature, you see this is the, this is the heart of it, isn't it? It's telling, this, this is the big part. Whatever this statue is, is 
crushed to powder by whatever this stone is that comes out of wherever this mountain is. The stone that crushes the image is the kingdom that fills the whole earth, we will see. Now the interpretation, verses 36 through 45. This is the dream. Daniel says, now we'll tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given kingdom, power, might, and glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You, you are the head of gold. I can imagine Nebuchadnezzar going, yeah, I am. You got that right. I like this dream. He's, I imagine he's leaning into that, right? It's like, I had a dream and you were ahead of gold. You're the head of everything. You're the king of kings. Like, no. Nebuchadnezzar's like, that's right. It's about time somebody gave me what I do. I'm imagining, right? Into whose hand, verse 38, he's given, wherever they dwell, children of men, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You're the head of gold. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule all the earth. What's he saying? He's saying the, the statue is symbolic of kingdoms that one follows another. And you are the head of gold, but there's another one coming right after you. Now at this point, Nebuchadnezzar's probably going, wait a minute. I was going to hand this down to my sons and my son's sons. Uh, obviously, you're not an eternal dynasty. You, he's figured it out right away that there's a limitation on his rule. Anybody know how long this, this kingdom was? 66 years. Only 66 years. Well, not that long. Babylon. And in verse 40, there'll be a fourth kingdom and this strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things and like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. So now you have a stronger kingdom that's made of, of, of iron, but it's crushing the kingdoms that came before it. In the scriptures later, we obviously have, if you're decoding now, you know the golden head is Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, right? And you know the silver is Medo-Persia. It's decoded later in another vision, so you know, and that's historically how it happened. And this Medo-Persian empire lasted over 200 years. And then the Grecian Empire came, and it lasted about 200 years, and it's decoded in a later prophecy in Daniel by name. The fourth kingdom's not given by name. Most Bible scholars think they know that's Rome, because humanly speaking, we know that Rome followed Greece in terms of world dominance, especially as affecting God's people in that Mesopotamian area of the world. It was the, was the kind of heart of the known world at the time. So you've got a, a, an image that, that appears in his dream that represents kingdoms following one after another. And they're, they're, they're getting stronger, but their value is, is decreasing. Their strength is increasing, if you will. Does that make sense so far? P pretty clear. And, and as you saw the feet, verse 41, and toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. This is the part where you should be going, I have more questions right now. Right? You should be like, hmm, what's that? That's a, good, that's a good question to ask. You should also be asking, is this microphone going to break again today? Sorry. Uh, so there, there's that. 
The toes and feet were partly of iron, partly of clay. I'm in verse 42. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. They will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. What do we know? We know that one human kingdom follows another, and we know that there's this mysterious kingdom represented by the toes, and we know that in that time there will be the stone that's cut out of the mountain that's a supernatural kingdom, because it's not a human kingdom, but a supernatural kingdom that's going to destroy all the other kingdoms at the time of the kingdom of the toes, whoever that is. Or the, the, then this is verse 44, the day, in, the day, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it will stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron of bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. And that's all that he gets. So there are things that we know and there are things that we don't know. There are things that are really, really clear and things that aren't so clear. And then, of course, in verses 46 through 49, you've got, and we'll get to that a little bit later, you've got uh, King Nebuchadnezzar breaking into praise for God. And we're going to find out real soon he's not really a regenerate believer, if you will, yet. But he breaks into a, a praise for God and he gives promotion to Daniel and Daniel sweeps his friends into that promotion. And that's what happens. So what are we to learn from this? Well, the parts that are not plain, first of all, they're parts that we're not sure about. How do we understand those? What are the toes? Are there 10? Some would say, and, and I would probably agree with them, that they correspond with the horns of the beast and the vision that comes later. And we know that their kingdoms are, are powers that it would... It would follow suit, wouldn't it, if each of these um, metals represented the kingdom and there would be kings that would be overcome in the days of those kings, it says, then it's, it's again, the, the whole image represents kingdoms or expressions of kingdoms or federations of kingdoms. And so Bible scholars aren't really positive, they're not really sure about this, they have different conjecture about it. Here's what I would say that I think is helpful is really important to understand that when you're decoding apocalyptic literature and you're decoding symbolic literature, often the, the, the decoding is in the near context. It'll, just, it'll explain itself. If not, then if one is in the book of Revelation, one should go to the Old Testament because that would be the common thing people would be studying. If you're in the Old Testament, then you should go to the surrounding context to look for what does this mean? So if it's, it's going to say, like Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. That's pretty clear. What's the head of gold? It's Nebuchadnezzar. It's Babylon. And so when you take the material in the near context, right here in the chapter, 
and you still have a question, then you broaden it to the book, and you say, is it answered anywhere else in the book? And then you broaden it to the Old Testament, and say, is there another stone anywhere else in the Bible? Is there, you know, is, is, is there a symbolism elsewhere in the Bible? You do that. But it's important that we understand that he has revealed all that we need to know in his word. Now, some of it will become clear when we become closer, and that's another important thing, I think. And maybe I didn't see this until I got a little bit older. I wanted to have a complete and full understanding of every single thing, but really wise, godly men and women who have studied these passages sometimes will have differences of opinion, and it might be a really good idea then to have some respect then at that point and realize this is what we can all agree on because the Bible's really plain about that. And this is what we have in our hip pocket for when we get closer, we're going to recognize it when we get there. You understand? Who is the kingdom that we don't recognize that's represented in the feet? We're not sure yet, but keep your eyes open because in the days of those kings, there's going to be a kingdom that overcomes all of those human kingdoms, and it's going to be a supernatural kingdom be connected with a stone. And so it's super important that we understand there are things that right now we won't understand but that shouldn't obscure or confuse us about the things that are really clear that we can understand that are really plain that we're going to see here in a minute. Corrie Ten Boom was a little girl, and she was on a train with her father one day, and she heard a little story, a little reference to human sexuality, and she said to her dad, I need you to explain that to me. Her dad, you remember his name was Casper Ten Boom. He, he got up and he took a huge suitcase down and he set it on the ground and he said, I want you to carry this suitcase. And she took a hold of it and couldn't lift it up. She said, Dad, I can't, I can't lift that suitcase. It's too heavy for me. He said, when you get older, you will be able to carry that suitcase, but you're too small right now. But when you're old enough, you'll be able to carry it. And right now, you're too young for me to explain that to you. But later on, when you need to know, I'll explain it to you. There's a sense in which this happens in the Bible, and it shouldn't confuse us, and here's why. God is able to make plain what he wants to make plain, and he's made something really plain here. And other things that aren't clear yet should be like, well, there will come a day because we're students of the Bible, and we have this in our mind. What are these 10 horns later on? What are these toes or these 10 toes? What is this mixture of clay and iron? Let's keep that in our pocket. Let's be aware of that. Let's be, these are possible, these are possible interpretations of that. Let's keep them in mind. But let's not lose focus on what is really plain. Now, the parts that are plain, um, the main and unmistakable things, the, the clear and inevitable things in this passage. The message to the original audience was uh, simple. Nebuchadnezzar, you should humble yourself because you are not the be-all and the end-all. Yes, you are powerful. Yes, you are in control of a lot of things, but you won't be forever. There'll be another kingdom after you. Humble yourself to the faithful. How would you take this if you were among the faithful and, you know, in Babylon? This kingdom that just captured all the things out of your temple and put them in their pagan temple. And this kingdom that's forcing you to learn their language is not the ultimate kingdom on the earth. We're not sure what it is yet, but there is an ultimate kingdom that will one day crush this kingdom to powder. How would you take that if you were a faithful Jew? You would be encouraged, wouldn't you? You would be heartened. You would say, there's a, there's a, look what God has done. 
He gave the king a dream, and none of his dream team, you, by the way, did not appreciate that last week when I said it, none of his dream team could come up with the answer, but Daniel could come up with the answer because the God of heaven gave him the answer. The God of heaven that, like, Nebuchadnezzar thought he had perfectly owned already gave Daniel, the slave boy, this answer when nobody else could get it. Something is going down. Then Daniel boldly says, he reminds the king, your dream team couldn't get this, could they? But there's a God in heaven, and he reveals secrets. Like, hint, hint, maybe you shouldn't be messing with him. <laughs> and so to, to God's people, there would have been encouragement in this. That would have been, uh, been very clear. Be faithful. The, the message to God's people. Be patient. The message to God's people. Be confident. The message to God's people. Things are not as they seem. And so what would the, if that's true, what would the message to us be? Let me suggest some things. First of all, God is in control. What do we know about this? That's plain. We know that God is in control. Human beings aren't in control. God is in control. Men and nations of all times, God is in control of the rise and the fall of nations. And they're, they're not, nations themselves are not omnipotent. God is omnipotent. And the nations and fall, nations and men and nations rise and fall at his bidding, at his command. He knows and controls the rise and fall of nations. And the nations have a shelf life. Second thing, his kingdom is forever. This, not a human kingdom made with human hands, but a divine kingdom not made with human hands is a forever kingdom. It is, his dominion is forever. His rule is forever. His good is unequaled. His, his ideal kingdom, his supernatural kingdom, his sudden kingdom, his secure kingdom, his eternal kingdom. It's an inevitable kingdom. It is an ultimate kingdom. There is this, this can only be the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And the scriptures are clear about that. And clear to teach that. How should you feel about that? Well, I know you're troubled. I know things aren't the way you wish they were. I know that you have things that keep you awake at night. I know there are things that you hear that say these things like James, an early pastor in the church, says these things ought not so to be. These are just things that shouldn't be. I know that when you, not, that when you watch the news at night, you grind your teeth in grief over things that are happening in our nation. But there is a God who has a kingdom that will one day crush to powder all the kingdoms of men. And one should be encouraged if he knows who that king is. A person should be faithful. A person should be encouraged. A person should be helped. There's a God. He is in control. There's a kingdom. It's forever. And then the third thing, we should seek that kingdom. Isn't that plain? Jesus said it in his famous Sermon on the Mount. He brought everything to a conclusion. And in beautiful simplicity, the way he does, he said, so seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall in place. All these things will be added to you. But we say, I'm worried about money. He's saying, seek the kingdom first. We're saying, I'm worried about blasphemous people who are cursing your name, who are dishonoring your word. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I don't know what to buy. I don't know what to sell. I don't know what to keep. I don't know what to give away. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how. He says, seek the kingdom first. This is obvious. Of all that we see in this passage, what should be super plain to us is there is an ultimate kingdom one day, and we already know that. We know that's true. 
And so we are people who seek the kingdom of God. In all that we do in our human kingdom, we ask, how does that affect God's eternal kingdom? What can I do with what I do to have an eternal kingdom effect? If I'm a kid, I should have the same question. I'm, I'm only 12, I'm only 13, I'm only 14. But Daniel here and his friends were just a little bit older than that, if that. And they had an impact on God's eternal kingdom. And you, as when you're young, you're setting your sails for life. You're making up your mind about what you're going to do and who you're going to be and where you're going to go. And are you going to marry in the faith? Only a devoted believer. Are you going to follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you going to keep yourself pure and unspotted from the world? Are you going to go down the path of human pleasure? Or are you going to deny yourself and seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? These are the decisions that you don't make when you're older. These are the decisions that you make when you're young. Will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness will be kept? Because one day that kingdom crushes to powder all the other kingdoms of the earth and everything that they thought was valuable has no value in the light of that kingdom and so if i'm a 12 or 13 or 14 year old i get up in the morning and i read my bible i talk to god i commit my life to him i follow him where he asked me to go i ask how can i be involved in your kingdom work and that's what i do because this is the kingdom that lasts forever if i'm confused i'm older and I'm not confused about things and frustrated about things. And I think my life feels like a dead end. I ask, how do I tether what I'm doing to the kingdom of God? Because that is eternal. How do I take some of what I make? Even if my job is very simple and I make just a very little bit of money, how can I take some of what I make and invest it in kingdom work? That will, that the, the, somebody said once, if you give even a cup of cold water, in Jesus' name, that will break on the shores of eternity someday. Now, you see how that changes your life? You see how that gives, puts a spring in your step? You see how that encourages you? Even if you're a slave in bondage in a country that hates God, and we're not far from that right now in America, we can still say, I am a servant of the one true God. He is the coming king. His kingdom is going to take over everything someday. And I'm going to be right there in the heart of it. Do you see that? It should encourage us in, in our souls. We should seek first his kingdom. Trust his heart. Know that his plans are good. Remember his past faithfulness. Guys, I want to encourage you today. And, and I'll tell you something, a, a truth that I think God is establishing with Daniel and his friends here. And, and we should get this in our hearts. And that is, how do I keep going forward when the way is hard? How do I keep going forward when, when I have fewer people that are walking with me? How do I keep going forward when people are, are attacking my faith and they're blaspheming my God? And sometimes those people are dear to me and they mock my God. How do I keep going forward? Here's what godly people have figured out over the years. My grandfather had a little church out in the country east of Columbus, Ohio on, uh, on uh, the National Highway 40. On, it was a historic highway, National Highway 40. Out, right outside his church, if you would look both ways and carefully cross the road, there was a, there was a piece of um, concrete, an old piece of concrete there. It almost looked like it was a, uh, a, a, a cemetery stone, you know, a headstone, but it was, but it was shaped uh, in, a, in a different way, like a little tower. And it had numbers on it, and the numbers indicated the distance to the end of the road. Which it was in New Jersey or something, I'm not sure I remember and how many uh, miles it was to Columbus, which is the next major city. 
And my grandfather took me across the road once, and he told me a story I can't tell. It was kind of a complex, humorous story about an Irish immigrant. If I could tell it, I would, but I can't. But anyway, the point of it was he said, these are way markers. Now, on modern highways, we fly by at 70 or 80 miles an hour, and there are huge billboards that we read how far it is to Fort Lauderdale or whatever. But back then, when a person would be making a way along the national road by foot or horseback, they might stop and they might have some refreshments and they might look at that way marker and they would know how far they'd gone and how far they had to go. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to have a genuine and personal experience with him and then establish a way marker there. This was the time I didn't know what I was going to do and I asked the Lord and he told me what to do and I will never forget what he told me because he answered my prayer and he showed me what to do and only God could have done that and someday in the future I'm going to doubt him again I'm going to go back I'm going to look at the way marker when he answered my question when I was young guys listen this is the this is one of the secrets of a powerful life like Daniel had they would say the spirit of the holy gods is upon him because he'd established he had trusted God he had had his prayers answered he'd been to prayer meeting with his friends and then he said this is what my God did in the past I know this is what my God will do in the future. And if you're older in the Lord, you know this is true. You're coming up on something, you're wondering, I know that God has been faithful in the past, but what are we going to do now? This is a big problem. But you have to remember, wait, there were way markers that you established. And you go back and you look at them, remember, no, God provided for me then. He's going to provide for me now. God protected me then. He's going to protect me now. God gave me wisdom then. He's going to give me wisdom now. This, then you establish one after another after another, and you build a strong and stable, faithful Christian life. God is willing to break into your dreams to give you that. I don't know where you put this in your theology, but when you look at the book of Joel, it says there will be young men and, and older men and young men and, or young women and older women that dream dreams and see visions. Pretty interesting, huh? And then when you get to the book of Acts... It says it again, didn't I tell you there would be servants that see visions and young women that see visions and young men and old men that see visions? I'm like, when I read stuff like that, I'm going, God, I want to be that person that is, that is listening for your voice. I want to be that person that's walking with you. I've got danger all around me. I've got blasphemy all around me. I have people that are perverting God's true law all around me. It's very popular to do that now. It's extremely unpopular not to be proud of our sin today. And yet there is a God whose kingdom will crush to powder all the kingdoms of men one day. And we must never forget that none of those kingdoms are going to last, but God's kingdom is going to last. Was, uh, there was, uh, I was in my little writer's loft, and, and I, was, I was studying on Friday. And it was such a gorgeous day. Aren't you glad you live in Michigan, where it's like perfect this weekend? And I thought, what a, what a, what a sacrament the day was. This breeze was coming through the window, and I just want to make this plain to you. And I just want to keep the young people awake and capture your hearts and encourage the older people and wanted men to go home feeling they're strong in their faith and ladies having hope. I asked the Lord, how could I do that? Not far from me was a book. I don't take very many books in my writer's loft because I get distracted, but I happen to have one book up there. 
There's a book that I got up at Camp Barakel. I can get that book. And I was in Camp Barakel, and Barakel has some state-of-the-art stuff. Camp Barakel does really nice stuff, bikes and kayaks, and, you know, they do a good job. But, but their library is really old, and, and it's kind of hidden away in a corner of an old chapel. And the upstairs, almost nobody knows it's there. Years ago, I was in a place where I needed to have some encouragement from the Lord, and I needed to have some answers from the Lord. And it wasn't coming. So what I did was I went up to Camp Barakel to speak for a week, and I decided that I would pray and ask God to give me guidance. It was so important to me. And I was frustrated. I, I was in my little office back home and praying, and it almost frustrated, like, God, why won't you make this plain to me? I really need an answer. <laughs> so I thought, I'll spend a week with the Lord alone, and uh, other than speaking to the kids and I was seeking the Lord that week. I went to that library and I found an old book. I, I should have brought it with me. It's back in my study. Its cover is so boring. It's a bad cover. It's all dust jackets, all the one they had in the library there. But it was by a man who I, whose name I recognized from, from years ago that I'd heard about. So I thought, well, I'll take a look. I took the book down by the, by the lake and I began to read it. It was an amazing, amazing book about a man who really walked with God and knew God and who trusted God with the hardships in his life. One story after another of a man who walked with God. I sat by the lake and read that, and my heart was so thrilled, so stirred. Like, I want to be this kind of man. I want to be a man who follows God like this. I want to know God like this. I want to hear from God like this. I want to love my family like this guy loved his family. I, I want to be this kind of guy. This is a book that was up there. Um, shot a little prayer heavenward opened it up and started to read part I hadn't read before he was he went to World War One. this fella his name was Raymond he fought in World War One. he went to Germany he was scared to death he's a young Christian he's very afraid life was in peril it was very hard it was very cold it was winter time he's in a very hostile place in the army, he's trying to be faithful, but he was weak, he was tired, he was cold, he was hungry, he was pressured, he was stressed. He felt like he couldn't put one foot in front of another when they came upon a, an old abandoned Russi Russian army barracks where they, where they quartered the troops for a while. And they weren't able to supply them, and so they were, they were hungry. They'd gone days without food. There was no heat at all in the buildings. And so they were cold, and they were tired, and they were hungry, and they were in a hostile area. And here's this young Christian, Raymond. He said, I didn't know what to do, but I saw, the, I saw superior officers coming my way, and I thought, if they ask me to do something, I just can't do one more thing. And sure enough, they came right to him, and they said, we want you to lead a group. They were sending him, there's a proper army name for this, I don't know, but they, they wanted him to head up this group, and, and he, they wanted him to lead this group deeper into the enemy territory. And so they stopped and they asked him that, and when they walked away, he said he went into another room. It turned out it was an old abandoned bar. And he got down on his knees, and he cried out to God, and he just said, God, I can't do one more thing. I can't do one more thing cold, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm afraid, I can't do one more thing. He said, even though he was a young man, that was the first time in his life that he had a sense of the presence of the Lord with him. And he said, while he was kneeling and praying and telling God, I can't do one more thing, he sensed the presence of the Lord and that God says to him in his heart, he says, 
I'll be with you. That's all he got. I'll be with you. And so he went off on his assignment. And he hiked deeper into the hostile German countryside. And they were billeted with an old German farmer. And they were putting the troops into the barn. And the farmer's wife was showing them into the barn. And she looked at him and she said to him through interpreter, you're sick, aren't you? And he said, yes. She said, come with me. And she brought him into the house and there was a room in the upstairs, like an attic room. And there was a feather bed and there was heat. And she was cooking on her stove. And she made him a warm meal and she put him in that feather bed. And he was alone there with the Lord and was able to recover his strength. V. Raymond Edmond went on to become a powerful Christian leader, the president of Wheaton College. If you go to Wheaton College today and you go to the big, beautiful main campus building there where all the convocations are held, the chapel, it's uh, Edmund Chapel, you know. Because this guy, he, he realized that even though he had a very difficult assignment, the Lord said, I'm with you. And that's what he wants to tell you today. That's what he told these Hebrew children. Yes, you're in trouble, but I'm with you. And that's what he wants you to know today, too. I have a hard assignment for you, but you aren't alone. I'm with you. In America, the faithful Christians have a hard assignment ahead of them. Only the faithful will survive this. But we are not alone. God is with us. God bless you. I'm going to ask uh, Dennis Conan.